some weeks the, uh, the news is filled with kind of big events, you know, like the Jubilee or the Olympics or something, a royal wedding, something like that. Other weeks the, the news is filled with uh, politics and all the squabbles at Westminster and all the issues that are sort of being worked on behind the scenes. Other weeks there's a, a war or a natural disaster, an earthquake or a flood or something like that. But I think the most troubling weeks are the weeks where the news is filled with humans, uh, human inhumanity to humans. You know what I mean? The, sort of the, the unspeakable, unexplainable acts of violence and terror that humans seem to come up with. We've uh, been particularly moved in recent weeks, haven't we, with news relating to innocence, to children. The news coming from the BBC for quite a few weeks. I've had enough hearing about that now. And then this week, uh, again, children back in the news again. Well, first of all, there was the shooting at uh, Clackamas Town Centre, which doesn't mean much probably to you, but it's uh, about seven miles from the Bible school I, I was at for four years. Uh, and so gunmen walked into the shopping mall and, and three people left dead at the end of it. And just as that's soaking in, uh, two days later, then there's another shooting. This time, it's in a, an elementary school in Connecticut. I, I think I saw it's about eight miles from where Zach and Loretta are living. It's hard to imagine, isn't it, the grief that has been caused by that incident just in one man, one place. Twenty children, ages six to seven, plus six or seven adults. It's It's horrendous. And when you're watching that kind of news, and then there's all the other news you don't see, by the way. Did you know, I think on the same day in China, uh, there was a knife attack at a school. Uh, a man went crazy and, and all sorts of injuries and some fatalities, I think. I mean, how, how do we look at ourselves in the mirror with, with this kind of evil in the world? Especially when we realize that it's coming out of the heart of humans. Of course, we, we can all say, well, I would never do that. It was him, it was her, I would never. But actually, it's always humans. It's always people like us. And if we're really honest, when it really boils down to it, isn't it true that there but for the grace of God go I? Isn't it true that any of us are capable of any atrocity because deep down there is this sin that shoots through the whole of humanity. And when you're looking at that, when you're thinking about that, trying to imagine what those people are going through or praying for, for the, the people that are left behind and, and all of that, don't you find yourself feeling a little bit overwhelmed with a sense of darkness, like a, a thick, heavy, black blanket has sort of descended on the earth? It's almost as if, you know, you say, well, what's the world coming to? Well, it's nothing new, is it? For hundreds of years, for thousands of years, there has been uh, just a continual stream of evil. And, and anywhere we look in history, we, we find ourselves going, what is our problem? Uh, and you, you sort of think that by now we'd have got over it, that by now we would have figured out a solution. Maybe we don't have one. Maybe the solution is not something that we can generate. And so you've got uh, the advances of humanity... Just think about the, the incredible uh, intellects that, that are working in the world. I mean, it's hard to imagine, isn't it, that, was it 40 years ago, uh, that we were able to put a man on the moon? 
with about as much technology as what, a calculator or something bizarre. And now we're walking around with smartphones in our pockets that are infinitely more powerful than anything they had back then. And, and all these advances, and uh, you know, we can fly now, and we can do all these different things, and yet we just seem to keep coming up with more and more shocking ways to perform evil. Uh, and it seems like in this dark, dark world, we're craving light. In a hopeless world, we're craving hope. In, in a conflicted world, we're craving peace. And that's why this Christmas season, we're looking at a passage of Scripture that I think is absolutely precious and vital and critical to us. Not because it's, it's lovely and it's Christmassy, which it is, but because even though it's 2,000 years old, in terms of the events that we're reading about, it is incredibly relevant today. And the passage we're going to look at today in Luke chapter 1 uh, is so relevant, it's so important. I have to tell you that as I've looked at this, uh, in light of what's happened this week, I am more passionate to preach Luke 1 this week than I was last week. Why is that? Because it's so relevant to us. So let's get our Bibles and let's look. Because in this passage, we're not just going to see some historically nice kind of Christmassy stuff. We're going to see some content here that I think is a message from heaven that we need to hear. Light in darkness, hope in hopelessness, peace in the midst of conflict. Okay, so we've been going through Luke 1 and we're kind of leading up to Luke 2, funnily enough. And Luke 2 we're going to look at next week. Luke 2 is the birth of Christ. It's, the, it's really what we sang in that carol that's as long as me. Uh, the, the whole uh, story of the angels and the shepherds and all of that. The angels come and the angels say, peace on earth. So right there, wrapped up in the birth of Jesus, is a declaration that it's about bringing peace to this earth. Now, did the angels just get carried away in the moment, in kind of the special moment. I mean, they must have been waiting for quite a while for their their chance to sing to those shepherds. Did they get carried away, or was that actually the truth, that peace is very much part of the Christmas message? And if so, how? I would say it is part, and uh, it's not just that I trust angels, I tend to, uh, the ones that are on God's side, that is. But it's because in chapter 1, the theme of peace... And the theme of God's king coming to reign on earth and to put things right is weaved all the way through the chapter. It's it's flowing like a stream and we've noticed it every week. It's been subtle, but it's been there. And so two weeks ago, we, we thought about the story of Zechariah, this elderly priest who went into the temple and he met Gabriel, angel from God's presence. And he came out of the temple unable to speak. You imagine the look on his face, right? Just kind of staggered out. He'd just seen Gabriel. And he was bursting to tell them three bits of news, but he couldn't say a word. He wanted to tell them, I'm going to be a dad. Even in my old age, I'm going to be a dad. And more than that, he wanted to tell them, my boy is going to be special. And I'm not just saying that. He is, really. He's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. He's going to be the the, the prophet that God is sending before... Well, that's the third thing. If my son is the prophet that God is going to be sending before the Lord, that means the Lord is coming. God is coming, folks. And that's what Zechariah was longing to speak and and to declare, but he couldn't say a word. And then last week we 
saw that Gabriel visited Mary, a relative of Elizabeth. She was up north in Nazareth, a, a young teenager, a virgin pledged to be married. And Gabriel came to, to Mary with even greater news than he had for Zechariah. Zechariah was going to be the dad of the, the, the kind of the go-before, the preparer, the road builder. But Mary was going to be the mother of the Lord himself. Not just a baby that would be great in the sight of the Lord. No, this one would be great. That, that's a description that's used of God in the Old Testament. This one's going to be great. He's going to be the Son of the Most High. This is God the Son becoming a human in you, my dear. And Mary was blown away by that, but she trusted and she believed. And then she went to visit Elizabeth and they probably chatted a little bit, I would imagine. And, and in the midst of all of that, Mary sang that great song that uh, sometimes is called the Magnificat or, or, or Mary's song. It's just the Latin for the first word of, of what she sings. Praising God that this great and powerful God cares for the lowly little people. That's what Christmas is about, isn't it? How God cares for the little people enough to step in and take people like Mary and, and do what he did for her by sending his son. So that was last week. Now, this story today brings us back to Zechariah again. The months have passed. Elizabeth has the child, okay? And, and eight days later, standard custom, they all gather around to circumcise the child. I'm glad that's not our custom. I wouldn't want that to be a public event. But, but they gather around. And actually, they're going to make it a naming ceremony. And they're getting all carried away with all the, the hype of the moment. And they're thinking, yes, yes, he must be called, well, typically, he'd be called his grandfather's name. Well, he probably hasn't had his grandfather around for quite a while. Zechariah's so old, he looks like a grandfather. Let's name him after Zechariah. Or, or maybe, let's be fair, maybe they're so delighted for Zechariah that it seems obvious that they'll name him after his dad. His dad's a good man. And Elizabeth, the spoil sport, says, no, he's going to be called John. And they all look at her like, what do you want about John? You've got no John. You haven't got an uncle John. You haven't got a cousin John. You haven't even got like a nephew John or any John. There's no John John anywhere in your family. What are you talking about? And so then they go to Zechariah because surely he will be okay with their idea. Don't you love how everyone wants to name your children? This is why Melanie and I never tell people the name of our child before we have a child. Because we don't want people's opinion. Honestly, we, because everybody wants to go, oh, oh, or, or, you know, whatever. Where'd you come up with that? And so, so we keep it quiet because everybody's got an opinion when someone it looks like a Steve. No, no, it looks more like a John. Uh, and so they go to Zechariah. Surely he'll see sense. And they signal to Zechariah, and, and he can't talk, which he must be used to by now, nine months later. But he gets a, a tablet, and he scratches on the tablet. Notice what he scratches? We, we read it earlier. He doesn't scratch, he will be called John. That's what Elizabeth said. No, he says, John is his name, literally, or his name is John. It's already determined. That's interesting, isn't it? Because when he was told that his name was going to be John, that was the last time he could speak. That was when he said, huh? Have you seen my wife? That's not going to happen. And he doubted, and he's been silent ever since. He's learned his lesson, because now he doesn't doubt. He doesn't say his name, eh, kind of, let's go John-ish. No, no, he's got it now. He trusts, and he goes, no, his name is John. 
I get it now. I am trusting God. And he says, his name is John. And verse 64, uh, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? And he began to speak, praising God. you imagine nine months of pent up? What's he going to say? What is Zechariah going to say? Well, that's a great question. Uh, Verse 65. The neighbors were all filled with awe or fear. They were were sensing something heavenly is going on here. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. You can imagine, can't you? All All the neighbors, all the grape vines just everybody would have heard about this good godly old couple who miraculously are with child in their old age and then the boy is born and then this bizarre naming thing happens and in that moment uh, his father starts speaking and praising God everybody was all of a Twitter 2,000 years ahead of time they were all tweeting about this they were all wondering what is going on because surely God is involved with this child and so there's Two questions. There's our question. What would, what would Zechariah say? Because they heard it. And so, say what? That's question one. Question two is their question. Be what? What, what is this boy going to be? It's so obvious that God is involved here. This child must be something special. And so, say what? Be what? The two questions that are then answered by the rest of the passage. Okay, so let's look at Zechariah's song. It starts with an introductory comment in verse 67. And then we get his song. And this song is so significant, I want us to double underline it as we hear it. Okay? I want us to, to, to really get a sense of what Zechariah is saying here because this is the part that is so massively relevant for us. This is the part that offers light in dark 